Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. Mayamo Chris Ferry, and this is my co-host. Mayamo Chris Huddleston. And today we are over the moon excited to welcome you to our 50th episode. We need one of those air horn things. (laughs) (laughs) Yum, 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 yum. That's so great. We don't have the sound effect, but I know. I, I wish I've already. I see myself peeking out here on the air horn. I'm going to have to try and fix that in post. <laughs> anyway, you could tell that we are very excited. Um, and today we have chosen a special humdinger. For today, we are going to be talking about the film Highlander. From another time comes a man of great power. Talk funny, Nash. Where are you from? Lots of different places. A warrior of incredible strength. You've the devil in you. We've been kinsmen 20 years. Connor McLeod was my kinsman. I don't know who you are. Because you were born different, men will fear you, try to drive you away. man uncertain of his future. What you got here, Brenda, is a guy who's been creeping around since at least 1700. It's not possible. And haunted by his past. Wait a minute, Nash. I want some answers. You cannot die, McLeod. I am Conor McLeod of the Clan McLeod. I was born in 1518 in the village of Glenfinnan on the shores of Loch Shiel. I am immortal. A hero who is about to face his greatest challenge. You will always be weaker than I. What can you tell me about a seven-foot lunatic hacking away with a broadsword at one o'clock in the morning, New York City, 1985? Not much, for he is not alone. Excellent trailer. So much to talk about. Do you have a synopsis for us, Mr. Huddleston? I do, Mr. Ferry. Um, Highlander is a 1986 film. It was directed by Russell Mulcahy. And it stars Christopher Lambert, Roxanne Hart, Clancy Brown, Sean Connery, and others. None of these people I really know who they are. Um, Surely you've heard of Sean Connery. No, but I mean the other people other than them. There's a bunch of actors that are listed that I I'm not familiar with, but um, fair enough. And the synopsis is an immortal Scottish swordsman must confront the last of his immortal opponents, a murderously brutal barbarian who lusts for the fabled quote unquote prize. That old chestnut, that old chestnut. So All right, Chris, what a dusty it... story told again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what did, I mean, and t- why do they just keep doing this over and over again? So what did you, what did you think? What's, what's your history with Highlander? Well, uh, you know, the, I have not seen Highlander a bunch. I've seen it more than once, but it's been a long time since I last watched it. And I think in my memory, it is like we were talking about last week with uh, Edward Scissorhands, a beloved classic. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, rewatching it, I noticed a bunch of like lines and quotes that in my brain I had attributed to other movies. And I'm like, ah. oh, that's a Highlander quote. Mm-hmm. Um, what I, I, I mean, I, I'll just spoil my response to it. Uh, I, I loved it. I had forgotten, I think when I was a kid, I didn't clock how 
cheesy this the mm-hmm. dialogue is i mean it's really like it was in many places it was really like the dialogue was written by a 12 year old yeah the way men talk to women and the way men talk to each other and the way the exposition unfolds is incredibly corny <laughs> a lot right. of the time um and i think it's so much so that it might even be movie it's certainly eye rollable it might even be movie ruiningly bad, except for so many other aspects of the film that I just think are absolutely winning and beloved to my heart. And before I d- dive into those things, what are your top level impressions of it? So one thing that I realized is I think I had only seen this once before. I felt like this is a movie that I probably had watched multiple times, but I was, you know, it could have just escaped my memory. I remember clearly seeing it the first time. I watched it with some friends. Uh, I had some friends growing up who recorded everything from HBO, like all the time. And they had all of these um, just collection of videotapes of just all these movies they would record off of HBO and other movie channels. And I always thought it was funny because their dad had like a cabinet that he would mm-hmm. put all these movies in because he was w- worried that the FBI was going to come. And, <laughs> and it was like, Mo- I movie police. Yeah. I think, you know, that only happens if you're selling the movies. I don't think they just randomly go to people's, and, you know, it wasn't like there wasn't, they've any, got time. I mean, yeah, I what, guess else, so. they just what go, else are they doing? They just go door to door. Any movies that you've illegally recorded, but, Anyway, even as a kid, I, th- I thought that was really funny. I was like, I don't think they're going to come. Interpol isn't going to show up or whatever. <laughs> but but anyway, um, so I, I, I have this somewhat clear memory of watching it at their house. But I realized that I didn't remember very much about this. I remembered a little bit of the interaction with him and, and Sean Connery. I remember Clancy Brown as the villain, Kurgan, and mm-hmm. he is fantastic. I mean, Almost steals the movie. And oh, that's, yeah. That's saying something in a movie with Sean Connery in it. Yeah, yeah. But Clancy Brown is great. And I, I remember, you know, I remembered him pretty clearly. And I remember being, like, scared by him as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is scary, you know. Um, like you said, it's it's corny. It definitely has a layer of of 80s cheese to it. It, it, it just feels a lot like... Um, an 80s, uh, you know, action movie in that regard, which I guess it is, but it's sort of, I don't know what the, exactly you would categorize this as science fiction, fantasy, action. I don't know what it's, it's a little bit all muddled together. Yeah, I don't know what it's listed as. It's action, adventure, and fantasy on IMDb. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's definitely a fun watch. Like I say, it, I don't think I. I either didn't remember or I didn't really realize the cheesiness of it, uh, you know, watching watching as a kid. I like the conceit of one, one thing that I I didn't remember this from the movie. I remember this from the so last week on the episode of uh, Edward Scissorhands, we we talked about this. Um, and I think I've only seen the first movie. I don't. If I've seen any of the sequels, I do not remember them. But I did watch the TV show, and I didn't know that in this original movie they had the same conceit of him being a uh, an antiques collector, which I've always thought that's a neat thing to do with, you know, mm-hmm. somebody's immortal. That just really makes sense, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a great way to make money. It's first-hand uh, knowledge of the, you know, and also a collector. So you just, yeah. That'll yeah, be exactly. worth something someday. Yeah. I'm immortal, so just hang on to that. And, uh, you know, Sean Connery is just great in this. He's yeah. so charming. You know, Sean Connery in movies, sometimes his, he can be kind of a curmudgeon. But in this, he's just so charming and fun, you know. And then you... And, and then he you, doesn't demand a lot of him. He just no. gets to be this swashbuckling, charismatic... You know, he's, yeah. he's not in the movie long, Mm-mm. but he's one of the more memorable parts of the movie. And I think that that he does so much work in the short amount of time that he has that um, that it he kind of makes the movie legit in many ways. Right. Yeah. He adds a gravitas to it, you know, or gravitas. Or, um, 
Another thing that I liked about this that I had forgotten, I had kind of remembered it as being the Scottish scenes were just at the beginning and then the rest was in present day. I I enjoyed how they cut back and forth between mm-hmm. and they had some neat transitions with with how they did that. I remember er, very early on when he has the first battle with this guy in a parking garage and they that scene ends and they just sort of scroll up through the floor of the parking garage. And then that turns into the grass of Scotland. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a cool, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so um, yeah, it's a, it's a fun, uh, it's a fun movie. Um, Like I say, I just, uh, Christopher Lambert has this really bad accent and, you know, kind of interesting. Like it's a French accent. Mm -hmm. He's a Scottish Highlander ostensibly. Mm-hmm. That has somewhere along the line picked up a French accent, although sometimes in the fla- flashbacks he he does a little Scottish accent work, like mm-hmm. when he's talking to his his wife, you know. And so mm-hmm. that's all over the place, but you know, whatever it, it doesn't ruin it. it no. You notice it, like like Doug Burnside was talking about last week. Mm-hmm. It's one of those little things that those of us with a certain kind of brain are like so if he's and then you're like oh, whatever like the whole thing to me is so much fun yeah that i let go of that like it the the parking garage is the parking garage belief a, a pro wrestling match mm-hmm. which feels so 80s like it's so hulk hogan like wrestlemania and the the energy of that is super kinetic and then we go down into the bowels of this parking garage underneath and these two guys one in a trench coat and the other in a business suit have a sword fight among the cars. And mm-hmm. you're just like, what am I watching here? <laughs> right? And there were several things that I noticed about that that really made me laugh. The wrestling thing, I just, you know, I, don't, I haven't watched, you know, I watched wrestling back then some when I was a kid, when, you know, the Hulk Hogan days and all that stuff. And, you know, didn't, I don't think, you know, I think I lost interest in that at about 13 or something, but it was really funny to watch these wrestlers because they were all these just kind of flabby dad bods, you know, right. none of them looked like in shape at all. Right. I well, this think. was early 80s. This was <laughs> yeah. The Rock and John Cena. Like. No, and it's just like everybody now would be super ripped and, you know, all on steroids and everything. So I thought that was funny. And then the battle in the parking garage. So he's battling this guy who... um I don't know, looked like he was, you know, I guess he's hundreds of years old, but he looked like he was in his fifties. And there were some great scenes where the guy's somersaulting through the right. uh, part. And it clearly, it was not that guy, right. you know, not that actor that they, made me laugh. I, I think at the time, you know, they, they probably didn't have a huge budget for this movie and whatever. I, I think in, in retrospect, after seeing like crouching tiger, hidden dragon, and after watching, sword play movies where you've got a a true master of sword play choreographing sword fights and you've got Mm -hmm. money spent on actors learning enough sword play to do the choreography that this sword master has choreographed Mm -hmm. like we we've seen sci-fi stuff and fantasy stuff in which the sword play is convincing yeah in this movie, it looks like really B-rate stage, almost like high school sword fight, where it's mm-hmm. like swing left, block, swing right, block, swing head, block, you know, backflip. It's like watching a 32-bit, it's like a Street Fighter uh, <laughs> moves, you know? Yeah. Body blow, body blow, duck, <laughs> sweep the leg. It just felt so corny. And I thought that there was just, if I was ever tasked with remaking this, there's a lot of stuff I would tr- strive to do the same, but the sword fighting, I would bother to make it look like these guys had been doing this for hundreds of years. Yeah. And each one of them had a, their own style. Like, oh, he fights in the Italian style and he, whatever, you know, but they'd be really good at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they'd be really good at it because it's a chance to make something, um, a very specific thing, super thrilling. Right. And so the combat choreography, kind of a dud. 
But but I I think it's fun that that clunky it is fun the clunky sword fighting there's a there's a certain charm to that you know it's and it almost, tells the, it still tells the story yeah yeah it it almost uh, I mean it kind of makes us think it makes me think of when we were kids and we would do super yep. eight movies in your backyard you yep. know it almost had that kind of feel to it but it's exactly. not a cheap looking I mean it it's it's a it looks similar to other movies of its era, you know, it doesn't look right. It's, it's well filmed and, you know, well put together. I, I checked the, uh, they're listing the budget at 19 million and it only brought in, uh, 12 million worldwide, but it had to, it must've been a huge video, uh, you know, for it to have spawned a bunch of sequels, it you know, must, have. must have made a bunch of money on home video. I think at the time there was a, th- there was definitely a kind of movie that, didn't do well in the Ace Ventura, perfect example. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody heard of it. Nobody went to see it. What's that? Right? I Who's actually that saw dude? that in the movie theater. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's great. I laughed but... so hard, and that's one of the. I I can't recall too many times where I've laughed harder than that in a theater. It was on. I think Ace Ventura Two was on. A it probably doesn't of hold up ago. well. Just, but... It was on TV, and one of my kids was having kind of a meltdown, and so mm-hmm. we went inside and just sat down to kind of calm down and cool off and drink some water and just put on the TV and let our brain calm down. And that's Mace Ventura two was on mm-hmm. and it was censored because it was just on TV and the commercials. But the two of us ended up laughing so hard. Yeah. And I'm like, we got to, I, I said, I got to check and see how appropriate this is to, we got to watch, watch the original one because it's so dumb funny. Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Dumb funny. Um, but it, but my point with that was it, it, it it didn't do well in the theaters at all, but then mm-hmm. when it hit video, it broke all kinds of records. I think in yeah, terms of that makes uh, sense. You know, people checking it out and and building a fan base. Um, and this is exactly that kind of a movie. It's like, wouldn't you like what? Why would you buy a ticket necessarily to see Highlander in the theater? But great rental. Oh yeah, great rental. And. Uh, just to just to move on to some of the other things that I think about it are great there that like you talked about that wipe up, you know, that transition back in time. Um, there is some amazing set design in this movie. Mm-hmm. The Scottish stuff is spectacular. Um, and just a lot of the exteriors like um, some great shots when he and Connery are on the beach. And, you know, experiencing the quickening or whatever. And it, it's just, it look, makes on screen a lot of times, especially in these exteriors, it's a much more mature looking movie than the dialogue would, would expect it to be. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. And I think a lot of the costume design is great too. It's smart enough to be authentic feeling and then also tie in the kind of juvenile nature of the dialogue aspect of the storytelling. Like when he, he clan McLeod or whatever, and they're going to battle and it's a big battle sequence. And basically they're just a bunch of Scots fighting each other and they're all hairy and draped in tartan and everything else. So what they did in the costume, they made a sort of a red team and a blue team. Like Mm -hmm. one of them, I think it's kind of yellow and green. I don't remember, but they have these bright primary colors to tell who's Connor McLeod's team and who the other clan is Mm -hmm. right as they're fighting. And it's, it's a broad gesture within a more subtle, you know, they don't, it's not like Star Trek where it looks like the costume department pulled a bunch of, you know, central casting kilts and just put them, you know, that have never been worn before. Right. It actually looks, they're kind of draped with layers and furs and they're carrying a cross that looks like it's handmade. And you know what I mean? Like they, yeah. they spent some time on the detail work. Right. And the other thing I really love about this movie is the, the concept of, so his friend sean connery is a guy named ramirez right who's actually Mm -hmm. egyptian i liked that that he's egyptian and and it's just sean connery's voice and is (laughs) and is older right exactly so they 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 try to sort of create these layers of things that sort of stick 
And I think that's kind of true, especially when you're a teenager, you're kind of trying on different things and you're finding the things that you feel like you like, that you feel like you wear well, and you kind of keep that thing. And it becomes now that we're all pushing 50, there's like these elements of stuff that we've just stuck with because you're like, nope, I like that. And that's good enough for me. I'm going to stick with that. I don't need new stuff in that particular category. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. And he wears what he wears is a kind of an Elizabethan or Spanish era, like a doublet. It's a big uh, embroidered scarlet and gold thing with big poofy shoulders, right? Mm -hmm. And he has a big hat hat and a big uh, pearl drop, teardrop shaped pearl earring he wears in one ear. You know, he has a ponytail and then sort Mm -hmm. of a Spanish goatee. And his name is Ramirez, but he's Egyptian and he goes all the way back and he tries to warn Connor McLeod, who is relatively young to this, um, about the dangers of falling in love and the heartbreak. And, you know, you're, you're not going to die. She's getting, you're going to watch her get old. You're never going to love that. Of course, a wiser man would understand that you can't warn a younger man off of that first love. But mm-hmm. so it's rich in those ways. I think. And I find that really, really enjoyable. And that's carried through in the fact that he's an antiquities dealer. Right. Yeah. And he has this sort of money penny secretary. Right. That we discover he rescues in Belgium or something in World War Two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he finds this little girl whose parents have been killed. Am I misremembering this? And no, no. He takes her in and, and we realize later now in the 80s, she's in her 60s or 70s even, and she's become, she was his kind of ward and she's become his secretary and she knows his secret. Mm -hmm. But she's still with him. Like, and we get, that tells the story, you know, it illustrates that this is a guy that builds meaningful, long-lasting relationships with people. He's mostly a loner, but he has these close connections, right? Right. It's how we paint him as a good guy. And then the Kurgan or the Kirgan, however it's pronounced, is this really ferocious guy who quite the opposite doesn't form these personal connections and kind of burns his way through life. But um, he has this sword fight with Sean Connery at one point where, um, you know, Sean Connery makes a good cut and he gives him a good slice in the neck. And uh, later in the eighties, he has shaved his head and he's put a bunch of, baby pins yeah through like the slice in his neck through the scar in his neck yeah and it's really intimidating oh like yeah he's a big guy but it's it's just really great but he's that, like this punk rock guy now kind of in scottish times he's wearing almost this medieval i think they say he's romanian or something but it's almost this medieval armor it's a helmet that looks kind of like an animal skull and he's i really like the design of that, yeah, that was, it's really scary he's, it's very, yeah scary yeah it's very D. Yes. And so in the 80s, his look is like shaved head, leather motorcycle jacket, you know, muscle car, uh, bobby pins through the scar. Isn't yeah. That? It's just like great design. Yeah. Great design. And and he does a great vocal thing later after he gets his throat cut. He's a big bass guy anyway. But after he gets his throat cut, he gets this kind of vocal fry, you know, mm-hmm. McLeod Highlander. <laughs> it's just great. It's just great. Stuff. I love the scene where they're in the church and uh, uh, the nuns walk by <laughs> and he's like, uh, he says something like, yeah, yeah, he says something like, uh, uh, have a great Halloween, ladies, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and yeah, he, yeah, yeah. he like sticks his tongue out at him <sighs> and flicks it around. Yeah, yeah. Nuns, he's no sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> he's just. That that this was the and I, I looked through his uh, his filmography and he'd done four or five movies before this one. He had uh, one was uh, uh, Buckaroo Banzai, which we covered. Right. But I had this was the first thing that I had ever seen him in. And I was just like, man, this guy is really, really creepy, you yeah. know, and really but he's having fun with it, too. Like a villain you love to hate, like you're enjoying watching him. Yeah. But he's such a, you know, he's had a long, long career and um, he uh, it's such a varied career because he's been villains, but he's been, you know, he can be charming and 
and likable and well, he was uh, and all that he too. was in john dies at the end like he's been in a yeah number of yeah movies we very good in that you know he's got a big voiceover career as i was mentioning before yes. we started recording he's you know um mr krabs on uh spongebob he's that voice and i think once you start to recognize his voice you kind of hear him all over the place and you see yeah. him he still does live action stuff too a lot sure yeah he's um, great yeah he has a an insane number of credits too uh 297 acting credits awesome he just yeah. must be a nice guy like i don't think you work that much it's a fairly small business really mm -hmm. And if you're a character actor that has a lot of range and is nice to work with, I think you just, and you're willing to work a lot, I think you just get a ton of work. And that's what I see when I see that many credits on an actor like this, that he just must be a genuinely friendly, fun to work with guy. Yeah. I, I saw, I was just, uh, I just kind of randomly saw it. I was down the YouTube rabbit hole and I saw an interview with him, a fairly recent one. I don't know what he was. I don't even know if he was plugging any, anything or not, but he just seemed like a really, really nice guy. You know, somebody that could be, you know, he's a big guy and has that voice and everything. And, yeah. and obviously, as we said, could be very intimidating, but, um, but just also, seemed like a he could nice do the, he's, his range is huge though. Cause he could do gentle giant if you wanted him to. Right. Right. I, I you know, what I learned from uh, Tom Seymour, of course, who, you know, an mm -hmm. independent filmmaker is he got, uh, Oh man, I, I, I don't know. I get rolling and I space on names and it's such a shame. He did a film called London Betty and he got, um, damn. is it Debbie, Debbie Rashawn? No, he has worked oh. with Debbie Rashawn. Yeah. That's a pretty good example. But, um, this is a guy that you would recognize a lot and he got him for a bit part. Um, he was an older guy, totally recognizable. Like you would, you would see him and you'd be like, Oh yeah, that guy. But you might not know his name, and I'm ashamed that I can't remember his name now because he came in for one day, and I think Tom paid him, I don't know, maybe it was a thousand bucks, maybe it was three thousand bucks for just a day, and they Clint, shot Clint out Howard. No, although they oh, got okay. Clint Howard to narrate. Um, okay. They got Clint Howard to narrate on a similar deal, just to lay down some audio tracks as a narrator, and that was mm -hmm. a great grab. My point is. I wonder what his day rate is because it, if you're an independent filmmaker and you can scrape up a little money, but you don't have millions to make a, a big thing, you can often reach out to these great character people who just love to work. Mm -hmm. They just love to work. And if you've got something juicy for them to do, you might be able to get them. You might be able to get them to come and shoot for a day or two. And you might be able to afford their day rate if you can organize your shoot such that you just, you know, and it, you sprinkle it out through the movie. So there may be in four scenes, you know, boom, 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 throughout the course of the film. And you mm -hmm. give them something meaty and you can get that all shot in, in a very short period of time. And it lends such, it raises the bar on your whole production. Right. You know what I mean? Because everybody sees that and it's inspiring. Oh, yeah. It's inspiring to get to work with somebody like that. And you're like, oh, man, yeah. And it's inspiring to get a pro. You know? Not sure. that independent and amateur film people aren't good at what they do. But seeing an actual seasoned pro, like, bringing that into your thing. I was watching the um, some of The Hobbit the other night just because I kind of went down a, you know, I smoked a little rope and I was just trying to find something to watch and... <laughs> I started watching The Hobbit, which I didn't really dig when it first came out. But Ian McKellen, man. What? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Like, I think, I think that if you didn't have Ian McKellen as Gandalf, not that he, obviously, everybody delivers in that franchise, but he is the kind of heart and soul of it. He's the kind of Arkenstone of that whole enterprise. Like, he... So gets Peter Jackson's vision, mm -hmm. and he Gandalf is this kind of thread that runs through the entire Tolkien everything. It's kind of Tolkien's soul, and he's the guy that de delivers the moral platitudes. And Ian McKellen just nails it. Oh you yeah, know? just nails it. It's such a pleasure. And I thought to myself, 
I would love to work with that guy. Like, oh, I would just, yeah. Just getting to, it would raise, you know, whatever he gave you as an actor, you would meet that. You would rise to meet that. And it would be. Oh, how amazing pleasure. would that be? Yeah. Here's the interesting thing. And this ties back in with uh, tonight's movie. Did you know that Ian McKellen was not the first choice for Gandalf? Who was, though? Sean Connery was. And he oh, turned interesting. It, that would have been it so down. interesting. Yeah. He would have done a great job, but it just would have been different. You know, it would have been very different. Very, very different. I don't know what the reason was that he turned it down, but he but he did. I read now that you say that I read something like he just didn't get it. You know, maybe. maybe yeah, maybe that was the case. I don't know that he the deep fantasy thing. And you'd have to. You'd have to. You'd have to be excited to be offered that role. And it felt like Ian McKellen was. Yeah, and and I you kind of wonder when you look at Sean Connery's filmography, it's it's a little bit funny in a way that he did a film like Highlander, mm. because that's you know that's very much in that that uh, fantasy kind of realm and everything. And I wonder if it's just you know it's it's kind of like uh, he's comfortable with the fantasy material. Yeah. Zardoz. Like he's comfortable. He doesn't turn up his nose at it. But I wonder if maybe that changed some as he as he aged or something. Because it's kind of the same thing where you look at uh you look at Harrison Ford, who um, you know, took a lot of chances when he was young, and then as he aged, he got, you know, it, it was pretty predictable the things yeah. that he was doing, you know. And yet I think now, as he's in his kind of I don't want to use an offensive term, but golden, like older years, kind of twilight think, years. Yeah, I feel like we go, we as people go through a thing where there's this sort of pride that flares up as we, as our middle age rears its head. We sort of like, no, I'm a serious guy. I'm making a mark, right? And then we kind of move through that into a more graceful. You know what? What I mean? We kind of realize, mm-hmm. okay, well, there was a silliness in our youth. And there was actually a silliness in our middle age. And it's just kind of like, you know, I'm not a clown now, but I'm, you know, if I'm excited about it and I can really commit to it and do it, then I'll do it. And otherwise it's not maybe a no, but it's not like this rigid, like, no, I'm a serious, you know, it's Mm -hmm. what you get excited about. And I feel like he's come back. He came back to Star Wars. Yeah. Which I think for a while he was kind of embarrassed about. Yeah. Yeah, he always but he really. Be... I don't think that that. I don't think that episode seven would have flown without Harrison Ford's buy-in, and he no. really bought into it. Yeah, I he know, did. They not... paid, uh, they paid yeah. him a treasure trove. I think they paid him yeah. twenty million dollars. Yeah, but but, but he, he showed up. He didn't phone it in. That was no, for no. sure. He showed up, and that yeah. was Han Solo. Man, we needed some Han Solo, and we got it. Yeah, which I'm hoping with this next. Indiana Jones that we've discussed a little bit that he will yeah. not phone it in yeah, on that one. I don't know. I think I, hopefully he's, I don't know. I don't know. I feel good that it's, uh, I, I think if, if it had been, if Spielberg would come, had come back, I don't think his heart's in it anymore. I don't think his heart has been in those kind of movies mm. for a long time, but I think the, I believe it's James Mangold who is doing it, you know, who directed Logan and mm. uh, Ford versus Ferrari. Mm. I think that's a guy who's got some fire, you know, Still. You know, I did IT support for his parents. Oh, wow. Yeah. Crazy, just coincidence, just hot minute there when I was still in New York and his parents were kind of upstate. Mm-hmm. And the Mangolds were the sweetest folks. They're artists and they, they uh. I mean, and I, I'm an IT consultant. It's what I do for my bread and butter. And I was, I went to their house and I, they were sending me Christmas cards for a while. And then oh, my relationship nice. with the guy that was my connection to them changed and I moved. But they're like, oh, yeah, our son does movies. And I didn't know at the time. I didn't know James Mangold's work yet at the time. Mm-hmm. But he does he does great stuff. Like, he's a yeah. really terrific director. Ford versus Ferrari, I think, is terrific. Oh, it's fantastic. I, I really love it. And the it. Wolverine movies, I think, are great. Yeah. I mean, the ones that he directed. Yes. There's that one that's a little weird with the samurai stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's better than the predecessor. But Logan was great. Is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And maybe we should talk about that sometime. That would be fun. I'd like to re. I only watched it just the one time, so I, I, it would be fun to revisit. Yeah, it's 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 really grown up and interesting, <laughs> and it's 
for a comic movie, comic book movie, it's quite dark. <laughs> like mm-hmm. there are a lot of endings in it, and you're just like, "Oh snap!" Like that is that feels final in a way that you don't usually get from like even in comic book movies captain america dies and you're like i don't know superman dies and you're like he'll come back Mm -hmm. but in logan you're just kind of like i think that's it (laughs) you know i mean the studio is not gonna let go of that character they're gonna do other things with that character but for now i think i think he's dead (laughs) you know and you're like wow that's that's kind of i i think uh uh, with Indiana Jones, I think they're going to go pretty lighthearted and, and comedic, but I, I would like to see a Logan, an Indiana Jones version of Logan. Basically, I, I yeah. would be fine yeah. with him dying at the end. I, I think that would just be a great way to, to finish it. You know? I agree because, and, and if you want to keep the franchise going, if you, that's, that's a hat trick, that's up to the studio to pull off. Right. But mm-hmm. if they want to keep it going and they can make a good, and they can, then more power to them. But I'm a little skeptical because that's a big lift. I think one of the things that I loved about Indiana Jones was how human Harrison Ford made that hero. Yeah. He was genuinely afraid many times. You know what I mean? Like he he was not this indomitable character. He he put himself in real life or death situations and you saw real fear in that mm-hmm. character's eyes. And sometimes they were very human, irrational fears, like particularly of asps. Yeah. You yeah. Know? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So uh-huh. to me that you have to give a character like that a human death, like nobody lives forever. He is not yeah. a mutant or a superhero or an mm-hmm. alien or whatever. He's a man. And it would be great to see, you know, the Crystal Skull was Spielberg, so it's hard to say it's a bad movie. I, I don't know that Spielberg has made any bad movies, but some of them are certainly <laughs> not as good as others. Not as good as, yeah, his other work, yeah. But we've, we've discussed some bad movies. Oh, yeah. Um, his aren't, you know, in that category. But, you I know, didn't you feel the Crystal Skull was up to the standard of the other ones, though. Again, I don't think he had his heart in it. I, th- I think he'd kind of, you know... I, I heard some comments, read some comments from him that... He felt like he got to, a, and it wasn't specifically talking about that movie, but he, he got to a point with action stuff that he felt like he could do it in his sleep, you know, and I, I just don't think, yeah. you know, he was excited about it. So I think this is exciting that they're kind of passing the torch to somebody else. I don't think it would have ever gotten made. You know, it's still, you know, up in the air, I suppose, if if it'll happen, you know, you wait till they actually start filming, but it looks like it's going to go forward. But one thing that you brought up there with... uh and we're kind of far afield now, but one thing that you brought up there with uh, Indiana Jones that is a thing that bothers me about today's action movies that makes it difficult for me to really connect with them is even, you know, we had these cartoonish characters, you know, Arnold and Stallone and all of them back at that time. But you look at something like the original Die Hard, and there are a lot of crazy things that happen in it, but it still feels like these are things that a human could do. You know, you could, it's possible that a guy could be on top of a skyscraper and, you know, wrap a fire hose around himself and jump, you know, down several stories or whatever. Probably wouldn't live. He probably would die. But it's not totally beyond the realm of possibility. But then you get- The movie makes it feel at least plausible. Yeah. Right? improbable but plausible now i think probably a physicist or i don't know they would be like yeah that's not that wouldn't happen but the movie makes it feel plausible yeah but with these with the the, and i'm gonna i'm gonna sound this is gonna be like a stay off my lawn kind of a thing but you know you get to the (laughs) the fast and the furious and i cannot connect with those movies and even the later die hard movies that they did they did the same thing where it's like okay we're gonna drive a a car out of an airplane and then we're going to crash through a building and land, you know, land in the next. And it's just like, okay, these things are completely impossible. These aren't superheroes. These are, these are humans, you know? And it's just like, there's, I forget which one it is, but there's a scene in one of the diehards, one of the later ones, you know, that was made like in the two thousands where there's a fighter jet shooting at him and he's running like down a freeway and the fighter jet is shooting 
and he doesn't right. get it's just like you would just right. be dead <laughs> you know well, i mean bruce willis is a different dude right i mean i think in, yeah. in die hard he was a young man he was hungry mm-hmm. he was hungry oh yeah he's definitely somebody who's been phoning things in for a long and, time and but. he's funny and he's mm-hmm. good and i don't want to knock bruce willis but i i also think he's probably got an ego and there's a reason you don't see bruce willis in a ton of stuff right now and there's been some bad stories about did him, you see you looper know? I did. Looper was awesome. Looper was really interesting. We ought to talk about Looper. Yeah, Looper would be because there's a lot. There's a lot to talk about in Looper. Sure, um, but but he actually kind of shows up in that. He's he not. Does, yeah, he doesn't carry that movie. That's mostly uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who is hungry, or at least when he did that movie, he's hungry. Um, but but Bruce Willis actually shows up in that, and it's he, when he shows up, he's great. I don't know what he's like to work with, but when he shows up, he's great. You know, you, uh, you, have we ever talked about 12 monkeys? 12 monkeys is would be a, a little bit. I, we should do that because you I, bring it up a lot and I have yeah, seen it. I didn't think a, much of it at the time, but I do love Terry Gilliam. Yeah. It's, uh, he puts in a tremendous performance in that. I think he's really, really, he and Brad Pitt both are, well, Brad Pitt was nominated for an Oscar. Um, but they're both really good in that. So you see, you know, it's, it's not, to me, it's not just, um, you know, him just being himself, uh, Bruce Willis, you know, we, we, we ought to put that in the hopper. And I think at the end here, we'll have a lively debate about what to do for next episode, but just to bring it back briefly to Highlander. Yeah. Yeah. We need to, we need to talk more about the soundtrack. Oh Yeah. You know, right? Okay. So we so we it did Flash Gordon, Queen yeah. soundtrack, but Queen, I just think you take any movie, you get Queen to do the soundtrack, it bumps it up three or four notches right there. There's a scene where the Kiergan is in the 80s, he's modern, he's in a muscle car, it's a big red muscle car, he's coming across, I think, the Brooklyn or the Manhattan Bridge, he puts a cassette mm-hmm. in the cassette depth, it's Queen, it's a custom song, and he's blasting Queen. Man, I mean, I wanted to just grab some like weights and start doing curls. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> 80s rock and roll queen is boom. So this whole thing, it, it's a it's a powerhouse. I, I I do I wish the dialogue had not been so corny, but everything else in the movie kind of comes together. The concept of it, it's this undefined race of people who have how were they like sequels try and explain this and it's a disaster Mm -hmm. but what we know from this movie is that there's these certain people on earth that are this other people for whatever reason they're immortal the only way you can kill them is, is to chop off their heads and basically only each other they fight until there's only one left and when Person, you know, special guy A kills special guy B, cuts off his head in a sword fight. There's this sort of electrical disturbance, and he kind of absorbs all the collected power of that guy. So it it's this tournament that winnows itself down to one mm-hmm. in which all of that collects in the final winner. And at the time of this movie, it's really Colin McLeod, who's the Highlander, that's... Um, you know, we follow him. And then there's Sean Connery, whom we meet when he was a Highlander, just learning that he's part of this thing. We meet a couple of the dude. We meet the dude in the um, garage that we don't know more about than he's a other fella that the Highlander beats. We meet the Kurgan, who we see early on in Highlander's career. The Kurgan actually kills Sean Connery, who is um, Colin McLeod's mentor. So they're sort of good guys that bond together, although they know ultimately, like if it came down to Sean Connery and Colin McLeod, one of them would, they'd have to fight to the death eventually. Mm. But of course it comes down to the, and there's a kind of an African guy that uh, Colin McLeod meets in New York and they have a, you know, hearty welcome. And then it turns out the the Kiergan kills that guy. And it ends up coming down to Colin McLeod and the Kiergan, as we know it will. Right? right, we know kind of from the beginning that's how it's going to fall out. It's not a complicated structure, but we don't know where they come from or why or why is this happening or what. We do get when he when Colin McLeod wins, 
He's fallen in love with this woman that he's met. And it's a special, it's a special feeling, right? You get the mm-hmm. sense that he doesn't really get attached much, but there's something about, and somehow the 80s dialogue cheese kind of meets up with this great concept and you sort of go with it. And he shows up for a date with her and he's in this kind of, I don't know. The sweater 80s. and like a, exactly. a button up shirt under <laughs> he's it. He's got a box of chocolates and a mm-hmm. bottle of wine. But what I love about it, and they're wrapped up, Mm-hmm. But what I love about it is how old fashioned that is. And then when he unwraps the bottle of wine, it turns out to be a brandy or something that's from like 17, you know, whatever. Yeah. And you're like, oh, snap. Like, I, I would like, get out of here, lady. I'd like to drink that <laughs> bottle of brandy with Colin McLeod. Like, drink it by myself. <laughs> exactly. Like, that's, that's awesome. Like, that's dope. So there's this crazy, like, deep cut kind of concepts throughout it that make it super fun you know but but she's also an antiquities person like she recognizes the sword he uses yeah, and it's worth like a million dollars or something. right and and you know at some point he was in love with this sort of japanese woman whose father was a great sword maker and their love was true and powerful so this great sword maker folded this you know samurai sword 200 times and she's like this is like this is crazy ahead of its time like she recognizes that and the nerd part of you really connects with that and geeks out with that like Mm -hmm. she gets it you know and recognizes there's something special about this guy and i don't think he does a bad job his accent is funny yeah he's not it doesn't have the charisma of sean connery or the kirgan but he does well enough that he anchors the film. Right. Right. Like, I don't know anything else he's ever acted in, <laughs> but he has over a hundred credits. Fine. Oh, yeah. I, I'm not trying to diss the guy. Oh, no, no, I'm just no. saying, I don't yeah, he's, know him. <laughs> I think he kind of built a career off of this. I mean, uh, and he certainly does well enough to keep this movie from caving in at the middle, but it's, it's the supporting cast. He's just the, spine around which all the rest of this crazy animal is built and with the queen soundtrack and the great set design and the high concept and the excellent supporting performances I'm like i gotta say i mega recommend it like i it's just yeah, still yeah. one of my favorites you know sure sure yeah it, it holds up well a couple of things i start watching the movie so i watched it on uh I watched it on. So for people who have it, uh, this is on Amazon Prime, so you can watch it for free. And I watched it. Usually I watch it on um, my TV at home, but I watched it on uh, computer. And uh, so if you watch on the computer, it has all these little pop up things, little trivia things. So the movie starts and it's it like it has just begun and it starts talking about queen. And I was like, Holy shit. I completely forgot about the queen music in this. So it's like, the princes of the, yeah, it's like the princes of the universe, which I think they, that's been like used in commercials over the years and all that. Yeah. So I was just like, Oh, I Dude, totally forgot queen. about queen. It's yeah. Queen. And you know, this is queen. This is eighties queen. So this is kind of the butt rock queen era. You know what I mean? Where it's not really the operatic queen. It's the, it's the it's 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 cheesy queen, but Power it's still chords. really yeah. It's it's like yeah. Um, this is kind of like a gig. This is a gig they were paid to do. Yeah. So they show up in a real eighties way, and they're like, as much as Queen is, it's like pro wrestling, muscle cars, sword yeah. fights. You know, yeah, it's, it's very, very Flash Gordon in that way. It's like yeah, exactly. Space movie. He's a hero. <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. It works so, so well with this. And another thing that I was thinking about, uh, do you, and this is an impossible thing to answer. We'd have to get somebody older than us to. I think, to, as a matter of fact, I'm sorry. I think I'm going to try and sure. find some of that music and I'm going to tack it onto the end. Oh, that'd so be stick great. stick around for the end. I'm just going to yes. put some of that muscle queen right at the end so you get a taste yeah. of it. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So we'd have to talk to somebody older than us, but I wonder if, you know, we were kids when all these movies were coming out, uh, you know, 
85, 86, you know, this, I feel like was this real formative time, you know, in my life. Um, and I'm sure we didn't quite, it probably didn't seem cheesy to us. The dialogue probably didn't seem bad, you know, but I wonder if somebody who was at the time, no, I was like, this is great. Yeah. But I wonder if somebody who was 30 who watched Highlander in 1986 was rolling their eyes at this dialogue, or if it was just a different era. They had and, to have been. Yeah, it's I would think really so. dumb. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's really dumb. Uh, they had to have been, but yeah. I don't know. Even now, you're kind of like, you know, at the time, I could have written better dialogue. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it was... I don't, there was, um, it, one of the things that's fun about the eighties was there wasn't a lot of, of irony, you know, I, they, they may have thought, wow, this dialogue is cool, you know, uh, at the time, I don't know. Um, but I, that's right. There was a lot of sarcasm, mm-hmm. but there was not a lot of irony. Yeah. That's an yeah. excellent point. That's an excellent point. Well, thank, thank you. I appreciate that. But, you know. You they, make excellent points. Ah, Thank you. Thank you. You as well. But, you know, the, the 80s, again, it was like everything is irony now. You know what I mean? They would. I know. Um, I hate it. Yeah. They would. <laughs> they would, um, you know, do Highlander now and they would purposely put cheesy one-liners and things I know like that, I would think and yeah. I hate it because it's so much of it is they do it wrong I'm like that's not ironic yeah you're just being a dick <laughs> like that's that's just mean that's not an iron you know what I mean like mm-hmm. people think they understand what irony is it's like eh. and you know the 80s hair and everything uh, you that know. was in earnest they're like yeah. this looks great yeah this is super cool you know so that's another another you and know, part of why you go with, with it is you're like, wow, you look like you literally look like a peacock, mm-hmm. but you're so confident yeah. that somehow I'm on board. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I don't so, like it. I'll mm-hmm. tell you right now. I'll sign my name on it. I do not like that haircut. Yeah. But I'm I'm listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just sold it so hard and it was probably all coke. Oh yeah, that's 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 my theory on everything with the '80s. It was just all coke, you know. I'm gonna I'm gonna write that. If somebody doesn't do it, I'm going I'm going to write a book about the influence of cocaine on, you know, because it just it just had to be at every on popular level. culture. Yeah. yeah, and that's the thing. I have uh, we maybe discussed this. I don't know. I I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I know on some of those uh, uh, SNL movies, you know, that like Chevy Chase and. Yeah. Belushi and Aykroyd and stuff, they literally had uh, cocaine worked into the budget of the film. Uh, you know, so I don't condone it in any way, shape, or form. But I think they were also genuinely funny people. Yeah, and I think I think you got great. You know, it's kind of like uh, without the psychedelics and everything, um, would would the '60s have produced the music that it did? Probably mm-hmm. not. You know, so you you can't separate the you know, the drugs from the, again, not condoning it, but, but I, I think that's. Well, you I'm look not, at Chris Farley too, and the, the tragic case of a guy who was hilariously funny in and of, you know, just in his own right, mm-hmm. but also had an addiction to cocaine. Yeah. And I think when you're genuinely a fast, quick witted, funny person, it's, it, I've never been tempted to try cocaine. Cause I just, I figured I'd love it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I would feel like I'm a super genius. Like everything mm-hmm. I say is great, but it's a very slippery slope into addiction. And yeah, he was funny anyway. And I think he probably felt like Coke made him even funnier. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And also, you know, I, I, I wonder again, I'm not saying like it should, uh, I mean, it's never totally gone away. I don't think, but I'm not saying it should come back, but we got a lot of these crazy movies, I think, because of that, you know, and yeah. everything now is so safe. Yeah. You know, I, I think a little bit of Coke might help, you know, with the executives and stuff, help make, you know, some make some weird movies again. But well, I will uh, say on uh, Coke aside, I think that what we're seeing, what we've talked about it also a little bit on the, uh, on other podcasts is the the shift from the studio model to the streaming model. 
mm-hmm. and juggernauts like Netflix and Hulu and HBO willing to pay for auteurs to come in and, and pick up a risky property or something that's not obviously a slam dunk. Right. It's not cocaine per se, but it is this opportunity for someone who wants to kind of make their own mark to do something weird and outside of the box. Um, I don't know if you ever watched on Netflix, there's a show called The Witcher. We we talked about it a little yeah. bit, I, I believe. I've not, I've not. It's Henry seen Cavill it. or Cavill yeah. or whatever his name is. Superman is a very different part for him. Mm-hmm. It's deep video game level fantasy. And I think it was in fact a video game. I think it's a series based on a video game or something. Yeah. It's it's very strange, but some of it is really interesting. You know, I don't. It's not a full fledged recommendation, but. They're taking that kind of risk to be like, I don't know, let's throw this at the wall and see if it sticks. And they'll throw a lot of money at it and they'll find some real talent to give it a shot. And well, who would have really interesting? Who would have ever guessed? And this is not something that a I think, you know, unless they did it in a low budget capacity, um, this is not something that a studio would say, okay, this is, you know, we're going to release this in the theater. This is going to be a big tent tentpole production or whatever. But, and I didn't watch it, but I mean, it seems like it was a quality show, but the queen's gambit, who right. would have thought right. that a movie or, or a, a series rather about chess based on a book that was written in the eighties would have been this giant, you know, phenom, uh, phenom, uh, phenomenon. I, don't yeah. know. <laughs> I watched it. I yeah. watched it all the way through. Yeah. So that shows again, the, like you said, it's, it's really interesting with, with Amazon and these other, um, streaming networks that they're just throwing stuff out and some of it's the queen's gambit and some right. of it is the next Adam Sandler thing, you know, well, that's, and that's also the audience like... decides what yeah. is going to be a hit, you know? Right. I think they're willing to play a little loose with the algorithm, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're willing to take some chances because they also need content, right? Yeah. Part of the race right now is not only creating good content, but creating really broad content, Mm -hmm. right? I just, I had a Hulu thing running from Akira or something we watched and I just canceled it rather than pay another month. Mm -hmm. And there's all these screens of like, don't you sure you want to go? Don't go. And they're always talking about how they're adding more and more stuff. And there's lots of things you haven't explored. So a big selling point of these platforms is like, you talk about that guy, the friend's dad with a case of uh, pirates. Yeah. They're, they're saying we got a really big case of movies. Like we got lots of stuff mm-hmm. in here that you haven't explored yet. And they're all trying to be your new library. And it's happening with music too, Apple Music and Amazon Music and Spotify and Sure. They all want to be your streaming service for your one stop shop. Yeah. Yeah. But that's good for the consumer in many ways. Oh yeah. It it drives not only them to be aggressive about the accumulation of content, but the I think that the smart ones are realizing that if we can make our own new content that is dynamite. It's exclusive. We own it and yeah. that will draw people. Game of Thrones, perfect example, HBO. Mm-hmm. Oh, you want to watch Game of Thrones? We've got it on HBO. Mm-hmm. You got to come here and see it, you know? And I think the thing that, that's that's interesting is that, you know, these, these uh, Netflix and the like have these giant audiences, so they're appealing to the masses to a degree, but it turns out the audience is a little bit smarter than maybe what you would that you would think they are, you know, mm-hmm. not to, not to pick on him, but you know, the Adam Sandler movies are huge and I think they're terrible. You know, these newer ones, you know, he's got his thing figured out and his audience and everything, and that's fine. But again, something like the queen's gambit, you know, it's kind of this unconventional thing found a huge audience. And I, I think that's really, really interesting that people don't just, you know, just want a steady diet of fast and the furious and, and Adam Sandler, you know, they like, you know, people like diversity, I guess. Well, they like to have options. Yeah. Yeah. I think the Queen's Gambit had to have been something of a surprise. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I mean, they that's wouldn't what I'm have saying. done it if they didn't th- think it would find an audience. But the fact that it found such an audience must yeah. have been like eyebrow raising. Like, great. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. Really? Awesome. <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah, they absolutely. Must have also been delightedly surprised by the, because it really did get a lot of views. Yeah, it was, it was massive. I, that's something that I need to watch. I thought I was intrigued by it. And I like that, you know, that actor. And uh, yeah, I didn't, it didn't, um, I don't want to say it was this, it, did, it didn't land its hooks in me in some kind of crazy evangelistic way, but I did keep coming back. Mm-hmm. I just found myself coming back to it. I'm like, oh, there's another episode of that out. And I'd check it out. I got all the way through the series and I was like, that was good. Yeah, yeah. You know, so there you go. I mean, if it's a binary litmus test, I watched the whole thing. Yeah. I didn't call my friends up and like, you have to watch this thing. But who cares? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. Right? It doesn't matter. You know, that's the that's the thing with all these options that we have now. Uh, two other little minor things that I wanted to say about Highlander. Two little things that I like. So in the end, when he's the one, yes, and he it's the prize or whatever. Then he gains all the knowledge of the universe or whatever. He can hear yeah. what the presidents are saying and right. are thinking. You know, and and all this. I thought that was fun. And then. One thing that would definitely change when I'm going to say when they remake this, because this will be remade, I'm, I'm certain, uh, is when they have the battles and especially the big battle at the end where he wins the prize, all of the, uh, you know, the kind of white swirly stuff and it's like monster faces and all these things, that's all hand animated yeah uh whereas now that would be cgi and right. i that's one of those things that we have you're never going to see that again they're never going to didn't t- understand them why are there monsters i don't know i don't know but i just like that you're never going to see that stuff again because that will be that will be you know computer generated that's never going to be hand hand drawn again like it is in this film and i that's just one of those things that just stands out to me as as kind of charming you know, it kind of adds to the charm of the 80s. Yes. 80s aesthetic. There is something, it's very childish, but there is something very sincere and very charming about this movie. And I'm just so glad we watched it again. And Me too. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and I think it'd be fun. I mean, you need to be into it, right? I mean, I don't recommend this to people who generally like sports movies and like well these guys like it so much maybe i'll check it out you have to be mm-hmm. kind of into the idea of it's sci-fi fantasy action adventure 80s sword fighting cheese yeah like if that doesn't sound interesting to you don't bother but most I, of our listeners i think are probably they see what we talk about sure just, yeah i loved it yeah, if you like other stuff that we've covered on here, this this is a, and and it's not a bad movie at all. I mean, no, this is no. this is not um, you know, Kill and Kill Again or something like that that we right. covered. This this is a it's a quality movie. Just there's there's 80s cheese to it. I mean, that's hard to hard to uh hard to avoid, I would say. I don't know how this would play to younger audiences. People that kind of didn't grow up with 80s movies. I mean, I guess if it's younger people and they're into 80s movies, maybe, you know, maybe that would be, I don't know. I don't know how it would play. But yeah, it's a, it's definitely a thumbs up for me. It's it's a, yeah. it's a hell of a lot of fun. Well, uh, Sean Connery fans. I mean, you know, sure. who I'm sure that we could, if you hate Sean Connery, <laughs> send us an email at Chris and Chris Talk movies at gmail.com. <laughs> but I, because I was going to say, who doesn't love Sean Connery? You know, right. I'm sure there are people out there who don't, but sure. I, I imagine they're in the, in the minority. So, so do you want to spitball a little bit? Uh, yeah, what should something we do next? For... What are you feeling? What's in your um, gut? We talked about a lot of different things. Uh, one that I was thinking about a little bit recently, and we just did animated, you know, a couple episodes ago. So, so this is maybe if this would be something that you'd be interested in watching, maybe this could be a little, little down the road. Have you ever seen heavy metal, the animated pieces of it? Is that uh, Ralph Bakshi? He may be involved with it. I'm not sure, to be honest, but it's a, it's several different stories and the, uh, the animation style is maybe a little bit different, different. I guess I I haven't, I I guess I haven't. I think I've seen clips of it. 
that would be a fun one to watch All sometime. Right. Well, uh, well, let's. I mean, what else you got? Do you have other? Pitches? Uh, I mean, what what were the other ones we talked about? We talked about Twelve Monkeys. We talked about Logan. We talked about. Um, I forget what the other things that we that were that we no, talked about. We've got a bunch on our list too. We've got. Um, I don't yeah, know. maybe we'll take a look at the list, right and it'll be a surprise. Um, no, I'd like to. I'd like to okay. figure it out. Let's do heavy okay. metal. I'm, I'm okay. just going to go with my gut. Let's do heavy okay. metal. It's a big crazy choice. That was yeah. the '80s, also, right? It's oh, it's very yeah. It's very '80s, and I, I won't give anything away. I don't. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to taint. It's also your, sword your... swords and sorcery, right? It's yeah, it's it's there's sci-fi, there's horror in it, there's sword and sorcery yet. Yeah, it covers a lot of different genres cuz it's it's kind of a anthology. Sort of an anthology, yeah. There's kind of a, th- a through line with it, but it's but it's an anthology. Uh, I, cl- I definitely have not seen it then. Okay, I yeah. Certainly haven't seen it all. Yeah. And all you'll right, be so surprised time, uh, at We're going to talk about heavy metal. Yeah. yeah, that'll be fun. Let's do that. Dope. All right. All right, well, we are a little bit over time and even more because I am going to lead us out with some Queen. I haven't decided what yet, but it's going to rock. So we will talk to you next week. Chris and Chris Talk Movies at gmail.com. Hit us up. Thank you for joining us for our 50th. We've been doing this for a year, man. 50. Isn't that cool? Pandemic year. I know. It's been great. Here's to another 50. This has been a great aspect of a terrible year. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) For sure. For sure. Um, I all right. I agree. Thanks, everybody. We're going to do heavy metal for next time. So check it out with us. Hit us up on all the socials. And we're going to lead out with some Queen, but we will talk to you next week. It also left a man decapitated body lying on the floor next to his own severed head. A head which at this time has no name. I know his name.